Today we are going to finish up this series that we have been looking at. It's called Agape Love. And so what I hope we have been doing is looking at some of the aspects of of God's love, this agape love that Jesus Christ offers each and every one of us, but not just so that we can appreciate the fact that God loves us, which is typically what we do. We appreciate the fact that God loves us, but to challenge us to stop and go, are we, are we putting that in our lives? Are we living the love? And it's all, for me at least, based around this scripture that I've been sharing with you each week from 1 John. Look at it again, 1 John 4, verse 8 says this, whoever does not know love does not know God, because God is love. One of the foundational ways that I understand God is God is love. So when things happen that I don't understand, when I read scripture that confuses me, I always go back to this. Whoever does not know love does not know God because God is love. And so I think it's important that we in the church as followers of Jesus Christ kind of start looking at what, what does it mean, love? When Jesus is the full expression of God's love, what does he teach us? And then to stop and say, do I actually put it in my life? And so the first week I shared with you that when we look at Jesus Christ, we see the forgiving love of God. Now, again, what we often do in the church is we go, good, I love the fact that Jesus forgives me. Well, that is part of what we have to do is we aware of the fact that Jesus loves us. But it also should challenge us to stop and go, do I forgive other people? That's the hard part of the gospel. And then last week, we looked at the, this irrational serving love of Jesus Christ. That when he was with his disciples the night before he was uh, crucified, that, that he loved them to the end. If you remember the passage, he loved them to the end. And what did he do? It was this image of him washing the disciples' feet in this act of service. And we serve not because we, it's something that we do as Christians. We serve because as followers of Jesus Christ, we are servants. That is who we are. It's part of our identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. We are servants. And so we are called to serve, and it should challenge us to stop and think, how do I serve other people? So today I want us to look at a different aspect of God's love. And this one may challenge you more than any of the others. You may look back five, ten years from now and look and think, this Sunday was the Sunday that God began to work in you in a new and different way. Now, if I were to ask you, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to this earth? My guess would be that many of you would probably respond and say, okay, well, Jesus came so that we might have life and life to the full. You might tell me that Jesus came so that we have the promise of eternal life. You might tell me that Jesus came so that not to serve, be served, but to serve. And all of those are answers, and they're all good answers. Jesus came as a full expression of of God's love to us. But then if I were to ask you how Jesus came, you might struggle a little bit to think about that answer. And then you might come and go, well, Jesus came, the church answer might be, go back to the Christmas story and think Jesus came, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So you stop and go, that that would be a good Christmas answer. Or you might say, well, Jesus came preaching and teaching, or Jesus came healing, and all of those are aspects. But today I want you to look at it in a slightly different way in a way that you may never have thought about Jesus coming before. And it comes out of a passage that we read in in chapter 7, verse 34 of Luke. It's a passage you don't hear preached very often, but it's this. It says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The Son of Man came eating 
and drinking. So much so, when you read the Gospels, you read the stories of Jesus, so many times Jesus is eating with the sinners. Jesus is, is fellowshipping. He's connecting in community with people. So much so that the people argued that Jesus was a glutton or that Jesus was a drunkard. But yet Jesus came eating and drinking. So today I want us to think about the image of Jesus with his disciples one more time in that full expression of love as we celebrate Holy Communion later. I took a class in seminary that was on the meals of the New Testament. It was a very interesting class. It was something I had never thought about before, but it was a real rich in thought kind of conversation that we had. I don't know about you, but when we got married, I will tell you that I I think our four groups, food groups, were Zaxby's, McDonald's, uh, Arby's, and uh, pick another restaurant. That was kind of our four food groups, and probably some people would still look at the way we live and think that maybe that is still, Zaxby's still may be one of the primary food groups. But, um, But now you go and look in our refrigerator, and we have almond milk. You know, and if we get really crazy, we'll eat kale salad. Um, and so, you know, it, it, we try to be a little healthier in the way that we do. But, but you, in this class, it was very interesting that they looked at the meal as something different. When you go and study the Gospels, they, the, the, the early church, they looked at the meal as an event. A meal would last hours for them to get to spend time with each other, and they would invite the people in that they loved, or they would invite strangers in around the table so that they could begin to get to know them better, and they could be in community with each other. Do we have the same understanding? The purpose of the meal was not necessarily nutrition. It wasn't just to eat what I liked. The purpose of the meal was fellowship of a divine nature, Throughout the Gospels, you see the importance. They understood, at least in the early church, that the best way to experience God was in community. It was never in the early church understood to be alone. It was together. And so Jesus, in that full expression with his disciples, trying to show them love to the very end, he shared himself with them. He shared Jesus with his disciples. And so I want us to look at a passage, and I'm sure it's somewhere along the way Jody has preached this passage or one of the other pastors has preached this passage. It's a passage that often in the church we read when we want to see about community, and I could probably look at it from 30 or 40 different ways uh, that we could look at it, but it's a, it's a powerful passage in Acts. And I want you to listen to it today or read it on the screen with me. I want you to listen to it through the lens of community. Listen to what it says in Acts 2, starting in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They, meaning the New Testament believers, they devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to prayer. This wasn't something that just happened by circumstance. It wasn't something that was just lucky on their part. They were intentional. They disciplined themselves to make sure that they were in community. They disciplined themselves to make sure that they were in fellowship with each other. And then it says that everyone was filled with awe and wonder at the miracles. Why? Because they were together. They were together in action and in thought and in deed. It said they sold everything. And sometimes people think, okay, well, that's the church trying to get our money. It's not that. They sold everything, but it was to address need. You go look in Acts chapter 4. It talks later about the fact that they didn't have need. Why? Because they were together. They didn't look around at the little boy who might be homeless and go, well, that's somebody else's problem. They saw that boy as Mary's son, or they saw that boy as... Bobby's son, when you hear about a need of, like the VBS, they they collected underwear for the kids in Kenya. When you hear about that need, do you hear that that's a need for you to be in community with the kids in Kenya? It's not somebody else's problem. It's our problem. That there are people that live within walking distance of this church who, one, do not know Jesus Christ. Secondly, that may be in need. Do we see that as a community problem? Are we committed and disciplined to this? The early church, they saw this commitment. They were disciplined to this. And then the Bible says that at the end, because they worked together as a community, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let me ask you a serious question. When you think about your life, does it sound like the people in the early church? When you think about your commitment to community, does it resemble what we describe in the Bible? Devoted. Devoted to the discipline of community and fellowship. Devoted so much that people look at your life and they go, I want to be a part of that. Whatever it is you have, I want some of that. Now, I ask that question. It's probably much a rhetorical question in a sense that I know that most of your answer is no. There may be a few that would say, yes, that's it. But for most of us, if we're honest, we say no. I read an article as I was studying for this sermon that that talked a lot about some of the reasons that we don't have community. I don't know if they're true, but it does make sense to me that we don't have the same sense of community that maybe we read about in Scripture. A lot of it has to do with some of the technological advances. I, I jokingly told the, uh, the worship team this morning as we were getting ready, I said, y'all can blame me for the problems or whatever we're having with air conditioner because part of my sermon is the days that I grew up with not having air conditioning. How many of you did not have air conditioning growing up? And all the young people are going, oh, my gosh, what's going on? We did not, but, but I didn't. We didn't have air conditioning. And so we were talking about this last night as a family. We were sitting there, and it was, it was hot outside. And I said, you know, talking a little bit about the sermon, and I said, you know, when I was growing up, we wouldn't have sat inside. We would have gone outside and sat in the carport because it was cooler outside than it was inside. And, of course, my dad used that opportunity for us to have to shut corn, too. But it's a whole other issue. Um, but... But, but we would sit outside, and, and so when we'd sit outside in the carport, and it was a little bit cooler, and people would pass by, and we would, they'd blow the horn, or maybe they would stop, and they would visit, and 
you had a sense of community. And so this article was talking about that when air conditioning came, we see that as an advancement. And trust me, we discuss that as a family. We do see that as an advancement. Um, but you go inside and you don't have to see people that pass by. And then the article went on to talk about that we moved from carport to detached garages to attached garages to garages that have um, remote control garage door openers. So now I can leave work. I can drive home. I can push my garage door opener. I can pull my car in, and I don't ever have to see my neighbors. And it talked about that, this, this, this movement away from community. We had a fence growing up. I don't know about you, but we lived out kind of in a country, and so our fence was designed to keep animals in. But it talked about the fact that now we build fences to keep people out. And we live in gated communities, some of us. So we live in a gated community with a fence. And then it talked about the advancement of answering machines. And I know who's calling me before I answer the phone. So I can make a decision on whether I want to answer that phone or not. And so now I don't have to talk to you unless I want to talk to you, right? And then it went on to talk about that now today in today's technology is social media. I, I, can, I, know, I can know where some of you ate dinner last night without ever having even talked to you this morning. If you post it on there, I can look and I can like that. And it gives us a sense of community. For those of you who have been following the church Facebook page, you've been following this team in Guatemala for the past week, you know some of the things that happened, and you don't ever have to go and ask them a question. But it talks about this whole article was on what we see as advancement can also diminish our need for community. And we can isolate ourselves. We can disconnect from the body. And so it made me stop to think, I thought, you know, what if we rewrote the book of Acts today? And so I rewrote that passage that we read. And understand, this is not from the Bible, okay? This is Andy reading, Andy's writing. So, but listen to this. It's a a modern-day version of Acts chapter 2. The Christians were devoted to themselves and occasionally go to church when they have time. No one was filled with awe because there were no signs and wonders performed by the believers. Very few of the believers were together and they almost had nothing in common because they had no real time for each other. If they sold something, they used the money to buy something better for themselves. They ate on the run. They kept to themselves. They were too rushed to enjoy one another or give praise to God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't really love each other, and they felt very empty and alone. As a result, most people disliked them, and very few people were ever saved. Now, if that steps on your toes, it was designed to. Steps on my toes. Makes us say, hmm. It may be a slight exaggeration, but I bet if we were honest, that hits a whole lot closer to home than the passage that we read from Scripture. This commitment to fellowship, a commitment of a community to each other, to share in life together. That's what Jesus invites the disciples to that night, and it's what he invites you and I to do as well. And so I just want us to think a little bit about some simple ways that we can build community. Now, before I do that, I want you to stop and recognize this. This is a weekend where we celebrate our independence, right, as a country. We are a country that 
values independence. We raise our children. If you have children with you, if they're grown, we raise our children so that they can be financially independent. Can we? Amen, right? We raise them to be financially independent, relationally independent. But here's the problem. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we were not created to be independent. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are called to be dependent. You you have to get this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we cannot be good enough on our own. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot do enough good things so that God loves us. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to get to the place that we recognize We are ultimately, completely dependent upon the grace of Jesus Christ. Totally dependent upon the grace of Jesus Christ. And dependent upon each other. It's the way that God created us. We are a body of faith. And so none of us have all the gifts. Some of us, all, all of us have some gift. We all work together. We are stronger together than we could ever be alone. We are totally dependent upon God and upon each other. So the challenge that we get as followers of Jesus Christ is living that out. Now, one of the advancements that you'll see in in theological discussion over the last 20, 25 years is this renewed um, passion for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I applaud that. It's good that we talk about the fact that we have to have a person. You cannot inherit your grandmother's faith. You can't inherit your dad's faith. You have to come to the place that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But we've moved that connection to independence to where we have made it a private relationship with Jesus Christ. So I think a more biblical understanding is a shared relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus offers all of us, a shared relationship where we are connected to God and we are connected to each other. Look at what Hebrews tells us. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, it says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Stop and think about that. Do you have a... Do you have a community of people that invest in you, that ask you, how are you, how are you doing in your prayer life? Or are they just saying, how's the weather today? Do you have a group of people that you meet? Maybe it's a Sunday school class, a small group. Do you have a group of people that say, you know what? What can we do? Imagine what we could do if we serve together. What difference can we make if we actually work together for, for, for a difference in the community or a difference in the world that we live in? You have an opportunity, believe it or not, as we speak this month, you're doing the, the, the penny fundraiser. That's a great way to stop and go, you know what? We're going we're gonna to beat all the other Sunday school classes. I'm, I'm a competitive person, so it's okay. But you stop and look and go, what can we do to make a difference? But do you have that in your life? Do you have a community that is doing that? The author of the Hebrews says, do not give up on this. Spur one another on. And don't give up meeting One of the biggest challenges that we have in the church, and I'm not talking about Stockbridge first. I'm talking about the larger church in general. The average American goes to church one time a month. One time a month. And we're expecting this transformation for one hour a month. 
The same average American spends over one hour a week on social media. Think about that. I want you to imagine it this way. I thought about this last night. We were, we were watching a movie. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's called Coach Carter. Uh, Samuel Jackson plays this basketball coach. It was a great movie. Nobody in my family had seen it except for me. And so I wanted, we all sat around and watched it. And I, I thought about this. What if I had watched this in the living room? And Claire had said, you know, I want to see the movie, but I'm going to go in the bedroom and lay down and watch the movie. And Latham and his girlfriend, Cammie, had decided they were going to go into the other living space and watch it on his computer. And Lydia said, you know, I'm going to go into the breakfast room and I'm going to watch it on my Kindle. And at the end of the movie, we all came back together to talk about how powerful a movie it was. It may sound ridiculous, but it wouldn't be nearly as fun and the movie would not nearly have the power and yet the average person goes to church one time a month. Now, y'all are here on the July 3rd weekend, so you're probably saying, well, you're preaching to the choir. And maybe so, but, but it can still push us to stop and go, what our commitment to community. The truth is we are a busy culture. We're a busy society. But if we let everything else trump church, the weather's bad so we don't have to go, or the weather's good so we want to do other things, if we allow everything else to trump church, then everything trumps church. We can't be surprised when our families don't have a sense of connection and community. You see, I believe that presence matters in the life of the church. Presence matters. If you want something better, then you have to decide as a family to choose something better. There is power when we gather around and pray together. There is power when we worship together. There is power when we raise our voices together. There is power when we hear the word of God together. There is power when we serve together. There is power when we share together. It's community. It's what Jesus designed us for and created us for and offers each and every one of us. And I want to encourage you to share that sense of community with the people that you know, the people that you love. I will tell you about 20 years ago, Claire and I, we were in a small United Methodist church. I was not in ministry. We were starting families, and there were four couples who we came together, and we decided we were going to share life together. 20 years later, we still are sharing life with those four couples. We have raised each other's children. There are times where our children have struggled and they have gone to them for advice. There's times that their children have struggled and they have come to us for advice. We've mourned together. Two years ago, we lost Claire's dad and these three couples were the first people there. A few short months later, Claire's best friend had a massive stroke, was put on life support, and we were all there as they took her off life support and she passed away. And since that moment, her children have come to us in many times of struggle. And those are the positives. That, I mean, we've gone on vacation together and irritated each other to death. Um, we have hurt each other's feelings. But here's the thing that I watch in all four of those families. 
They all love God. They all love God. They all serve God in some capacity. It doesn't mean that our children don't sway, you know, go a different direction. But you know what? You don't just have one person that's going after them to bring them back into the fold. you got four families of people who are going after each other. Do you have a community? Do you have people who are helping you do this life together? Let me listen, you listen to this passage again in Acts chapter 2 that the early church describes for us. Listen again. In Acts 2, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, you may hear my description of my group, and you may think, well, but you're a preacher. You're supposed to have that in your life. Let me tell you something. I'm not the leader of our group. Our group started because one man named Jimmy Bowyer walked up to me and said, do you want to go to a men's breakfast with me? And I'll pick you up, and I'll take you to the men's breakfast. And I said, yes. Are you intentional? A building community in your life. The relationship with Jesus Christ was never meant to be private. It was meant to be shared. So that the people outside these walls can stop and go, I want a part of that. Do you have that in your life? We look at how God loves us. One of the things that he invited us to do is to share in him. And so I invite you this morning to share in Jesus Christ. To worship God together and not alone. There's power when we come together. And I invite you this morning to accept that power. Would you pray with me? Most gracious God, we thank you that you are God who calls us to live life together. And Lord, I know that as I ask the question about do we have that in our lives, so many of us, it is an area that we struggle. Lord, I pray for each person that is in this room today that they can, they can have the courage to acknowledge when, when we don't live out the gospel the way that your word describes. As every head is bowed, I invite you this morning. If you sit here and say, you know what? I'm probably not being intentional enough. Probably not building discipline enough to be able to bind together in community. I don't have this in my life. I invite you this morning to raise your hand. If that's just where you are today, you just don't, you don't necessarily have that in your life, but you want that. You don't necessarily know how to get it. That's an acknowledgement of our need for Jesus Christ. Lord, I praise you for the people that raised their hands this morning. And I pray, Lord, for those who didn't. I pray, Lord, that you can encourage each and every one of us and that we as a church can, can recognize our, our commitment to creating community. Bind us together. Help us to be intentional and disciplined 
so that we can experience your power this morning. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. When Jesus was with his disciples that night, he gathered around the table. I believe Jesus recognized that there were going to be times in your life where you were going to feel overwhelmed and that you needed hope. And I believe that Jesus recognized that there would be times in your life where you were going to be scared. Maybe you're nervous about a medical diagnosis. You're sick and you're weak. And Jesus knew that there were going to be days when you needed strength. Strength beyond what you can do on your own. I believe that Jesus knew that there were going to be days in your life where you were grieving and mourning and you needed comfort. That Jesus looked around at his disciples. He knew what was coming. And his answer was to share himself to you. And so he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks for it. And he said, take, eat, and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, take, drink, and do this in remembrance of me. It is my belief that as we come forward for communion, if you sit here this morning and you are scared, you're alone, I invite you to come and, be sh- and to share in Jesus Christ, to be comforted. If you sit here this morning and you're grieving, I invite you this morning to share in Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ to pour himself into you. If you sit here this morning and you're overwhelmed with life, I invite you this morning to share in Jesus Christ and have hope, hope of a promise and hope of a future. As you come this morning and you receive the bread and the juice, I invite you to come expecting to experience the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that we are able to be in your presence. And Lord, I know that there are people in this room who are going through circumstances that I am not aware of, that that life is throwing at them. But we are thankful that you are a God that is ahead of them. And we're thankful, God, for your grace and your mercy. And I pray, Lord, that as we come forward and we receive this bread and this juice, we pray, Lord, that you are able to use it to work in us. We pray for your spirit to pour down into us and use this bread and this juice as elements of of your grace. Help us to be able to not come through a rote activity, but to come expecting you to work to expecting to feel your presence and your power in our lives. May we share in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.